I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Beate Sigridotter. She comes to us from southwest New Mexico, where she was recently appointed Poet Laureate of Silver City. She has a brand new book, and she's going to be reading to us from it, Xantope and Her Friends. Then I'll have some good words to say about a fabulous poetry festival that happens every other year in Washington, D.C. Yes, this April, it's time for another Split This Rock. Stick around. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Beate Sigridotter, and she is coming to us from Silver City, New Mexico, where she was recently named Poet Laureate of Silver City. She did some traveling to get there. She was born in Nuremberg, Germany, moved over the years to places like Ireland, Africa, and Vancouver, British Columbia. But now she's down there in southwest New Mexico. She has a, a wonderful new book called Zentipi and Her Friends, and will be reading to us from that book today. Beate, glad you're here. Well, actually, before you before you before you read the title poem, I want I had this idea. I want I want to read your dedication page because I really like the things you said, and to remind people of who this character is, uh, Zentipi was the not exactly beloved wife of the revered philosopher Socrates. For a long time, her name was used as a synonym for shrew. Beate goes on to say, having lived for many years among wise and also unwise men, I want to honor her memory together with the memory of all women, sung or unsung, who have bravely made and continue to make their way through this complicated existence of questionable attitudes with grace and rage and sadness and joy. And so, Beate, let's uh, talk about poetry and hear some poems. Okay, thank you. Thank you again, Charlie, for having me on your program. And I want to start with the title poem, which is called Xantippe, and it shows Xantippe looking at the world. Today, I saw three goslings in the sea. I am in love, this world. The lilacs are almost done. The poppies have begun. The veils of willows, sun-drenched billow over grass. Without the bats and the lupines, truth is expensive and irrelevant. The bluebells will prevail, the foxes. I forgive you, Socrates, for choosing hemlock. Where in this uh, in this collection of poems did, did that poem come? Did you start with that and build around it, or were you just writing the various poems you write about women and women's issues? And... This poem um, shows in between when when the other poems were written. It, but then it became kind of my focal point. Xantippe being uh, a woman who looks at the world with probably some disgruntlement, otherwise she wouldn't have been characterized as a nag, as a shrew much. And, and she, to me, then suddenly um, uh, symbolized the, the status of, of women. I, I, I could have talked, I could have called this whole collection uh, a disgruntled woman in love. 
you know, trying to trying to live and appreciate, live in this world and appreciate. And at the same time, you can't help but be aware of all of the constraints and difficulties that are put into all of our paths. And not just women, but it, it just happens to be that I'm a woman and for me tend to be the focal point of what I want to express and what I want to be aware of. This poem, and I thought I would use it as the title poem for the, for the collection, which has very similar themes of how on earth to navigate on this beautiful earth without being, or with being disgruntled, but still keeping the courage to, to carry on with beauty and with praise and with hope. Yeah, you were telling me the other day how when you when you began writing poetry when you were pretty young, uh, you're, you had this this large idea that you would really like to write poems of of praise and essentially create beauty to add to the beauty that's already there in life. And, and, that and I believe that that's possibly how many of us poets started when when. Okay, for, for me personally, the, the concept of poet always meant somebody very beautiful, somebody very um, insightful, who gave you hope and praise and, and exuberance about the world. And I wanted to be part of that. And then, of course, you, you encounter reality and some of the things that we have created as constructs, mostly I think as, as human beings are not exactly beautiful. And, and, then, and then you get the dilemma, how do you, how do you come to terms with that? You know, I, I, as a poet, I don't want to lie. I don't lie about this world. I don't want to say everything is just, is just wonderful and peachy when it isn't. But at the same time, I do want to honor the, the beauty and the magnificence of just being alive. I mean, it is just absolutely awesome to be alive and, to, and, and all of that. So I think the, the challenge for a poet in these days is to, and probably always has been, is to find a path between the desire for exuberance and for praise and for beauty and the, the um, acknowledgement that there is ugliness and difficulty in in the world. Yeah. And you certainly live in one of the more beautiful environments in which one could live down yeah, there. I do. <laughs> My window at some junipers right now and a little bit of a mountain ridge in the distance. Nice. And uh, what poem would follow up those those comments you just made? Well, I'll read you a poem called Normal, which probably um, of, of the poems in this book is one of the ones that, that um, exemplifies most clearly the, the difficulty that we have to wander through in, in this, in this yeah. world. Normal. 
This then is the danger when the crushing heel of disdain for women is so normal and we live so awkwardly inured to it, no longer even this. Indignant, I show a young woman an ad for a cute nostalgic poster, Women Haters Club, printed in a catalog designed to sell primarily to women. And she looks at me with large, bewildered eyes. What is your point? I watch young women, proud, intelligent, give in to condescending flirtations. It works. It earns them larger tips. I watch myself simper and defer. It works, yes. Don't get started on pornography. Where do we live that it is pleasant here and normal for a man to look at women who look vulnerable, for sure, and preferably dim-witted as well? It is a bad, bad dream in which I stumble naked on the high heels of obedience my finger at my mouth, tongue lolling, while the steady acid of contempt keeps dripping and corroding me like rust. Yeah, I like that poem a lot. And it is so incredibly timely, but I guess, unfortunately, it's always been timely. Yeah, unfortunately, I think I just, we're maybe just like little water drops trying to carve a canyon of sanity in this world. It's a really interesting uh, to me adds adds credibility and and uh, you know uh, something for you to be complimented when when you say, uh, I watch myself simper and defer. It works. Uh, you're not sitting on the side saying, oh, everybody's so uncool. And they, you know, they yield to this. And then you say, I do too. We do. We, we're all, you know, some recently I've thought about the concept of um, the um, inadvertent misogyny that I run into on pretty much of a daily basis. There are people who do not want to harm me and who who actually think that they want to uh, further me and support me. But at the same time, there are these little jibes that, you know, tell me that in reality, they, they consider me to be inferior or, or um, their servant, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, as, as the poem says, yeah, it's pervasive. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and well. if we won't get out of it, it doesn't any of us any good. It, it doesn't help anything, but we have to keep working on it. It's there. Awareness and calling it out is at least it's an early step in the in the process. If anything's yeah. going to be changed, uh, being aware of what's what's that. Although, well, how about another one? What would you like to do next? I'll read you one one other poem. It's called Sappho, and Sappho is an ancient Greek poet, poetess. She was a woman. She was um, allegedly both lesbian and heterosexual. She she had a school for for young women where she taught, taught them poetry, and and she 
Of, of her poetry, only very few fragments, fragments remain, um, but she became kind of a muse, a uh, uh, symbol of, of ancient poetry and very mysterious. A lot of people have clearly revered her through the centuries, even though she, we only have a few fragments left. My poem Sappho, and it starts with a few lines by her in English um, that I find just very wonderful and prophetic. She wrote, You may forget, but let me do this. Some in some future time will think of us. I am grateful to the hands that snatched the small remaining fragments from the blazing library in Alexandria. I am grateful to the many hands, including mine, that copied words into this future now. You cannot simply burn the past and expect it to stay burned forever. It lives like the memory of reptile crawling land to breathe for the first time air. It lives like this one in a garland of poets climbing to breathe, astonished first time love it's an interesting uh you know combination of angles and the, and the idea of 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 survival and 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 what the past brings us were you reading Sappho when you wrote this or a commentary about her the the ending of the poem is is kind of an, another big idea of mine that the the concept of love and emotion and many other feminine characteristics tend to be so downplayed in our culture. Um, everybody, love, for example, everybody wants to be loved, I believe. But most of the time, we can't, we can't really admit to that. It, the important things are politics. Um, um, money, even sex tends to be more important than love. But at, this, at the same time, I believe deep in our core, there's this, there's this yearning for love that, that's in all of us. And, and for, you know, a poetess like Sappho to, to address that early on and to be actually revered for it through the centuries, that to me is important. That that does address our basic need for for this, you know. From to me, also, of course, all the other politics and money and everything else are constructs. But love is a construct. I don't I don't know that any other creatures on this earth or anywhere else um, are dealing with that subject. I don't know, but I suspect that not because yeah. I don't have any evidence of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a very interesting concept. The assen the essentialness or centrality of of the need for love. Yeah. Okay, well, that's a good big idea to have as a poet. Yeah. I'd say you're still working on those positive things. I I do I do I do I want to. Yeah, in one of my poems, I, I'm just going to read a few lines of it, but um, I, I, I wanted to, ever since I was in my 20s, I wanted to come up with this language of joy, 
instead of this language of sorrow. You know how they say Eskimos have 30, 30 words for snow. We have about two or three words for joy. And then we have, we have about 500 words for sorrow and for, for tragedy and for sadness. I'll, I'll read you the few lines, but once a, as a wedding gift, I wanted to give you a language of joy. I couldn't finish in time. It was too dark in the forest. Mm. You know, that's, that's kind of the, the idea that in, in some ways I believe that we have to be more, even more uh, talented, make more effort to do a language of joy or of praise or of love because of our general, I think, addiction to conflict. We, you know, even, even in, in writing journals, mostly about fiction and not so much about poetry, but you keep reading that without conflict is absolutely no interest. And, and I think that is, a, that is a true and correct observation. But my idea is that, so maybe if we make a little bit more, com more effort, we can actually come up with something more positive and, and actually make that interesting. How do you make interesting and sexy, for example? You know, that's, that's where, where I think we, we ought to go as, as poets. You remind me that uh, I, th I think one thing um, a lot of us agree on is that it's really hard to write really good love poems. It might be easier to write a good angry poem than a good love poem. Um, yeah. Or maybe I'm just making that up, but it, it seems like it's hard to write really good love poems. It is. It is without you know, without becoming Hallmark or, right. or, or drippy or sappy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, let's hear another poem. What do you want to do now? Well, since I've been talking about conflict, I would like to read a poem called That Day. That day, I woke up wanting to caress the face of things, to whisper, to live is enough. That day I rode ground wide celebration, sky blue Denver tilting, and a small boy by my side, kissing the whirlwind with laughter. That day I learned that scientists are working on a bond that vaporizes human life on impact, finding us by body heat, leaving the more valuable things and things intact the roads, the bridges. Not even in my dreams had I been this breathless against my will. For whom will the bridges span? Will the books then read themselves? For whom will roller coasters roll? That day, I vowed to quick this quick world without pity, without promise, but with a passion that even a single soldier rolling in the dirt of conflict would be more sacred than a bridge, a drop of oil, an ocean of democracy. There will be no more tears then. Quick now, caress. The poem covers a lot of territory. 
when you get into the the super bombs that only kill people and leave the infrastructure standing there it's a really spooky concept yeah what's what's important anymore you know um clearly us uh <laughs> flesh and blood creatures not so much well we, we've you got i've got a couple more poems here that you sent me you sent the timing and archer um would you like to just uh read those because we do have time if, if you'd like to do that sure read archer first okay mostly because the timing i think ends on the most positive note of the ones that i have yeah. here archer and i'll preface a little bit my first year here in new mexico um, suddenly people showed up at my doorstep and said, you know, we have, we have uh, this license to, to kill deer in the neighborhood, but only with, with bow and arrows. And I thought, please, you know, I have a lot of deer in my walking around my property. And I was just, why would you, you know, want to, there, there was also a program where they were taking some of them from the neighborhoods and, catching them and releasing them someplace mm. else. Anyway, I was devastated about those deer, and so I wrote this poem called Archer. She has always wanted to belong. Now it looks like she does. Dad offers a sip of his beer. She giggles, shakes her up or nods. His dark eyes gleam with admiration. First time he looks at her like that, nobody says the dread words for a girl. The men offer to skin and gut the ponders this, accepts. She still feels the sinew of the bow, the strong and steady arms, the whistle and velocity of death. The wounded eyes film over, lifeless, without accusation. Well done, someone. She wants to ask back, have you ever looked into the eyes of a deer? Their calm and dark acceptance, shy round innocence with just a hint of question and the bold nose, but no words come. She is in a different league now. Tomorrow she will be 16. They promise her first taste of the meat. She feels empty, silenced. Betrayed, betrayed. No one explained triumph would feel like this. She remembers wide surprise and so black that they make you weep. The finches in the juniper have lost their charm. It's certainly vivid. Most of this is made up in my in my head. Yeah. But did report yeah. that there was this fifteen-year-old girl that that got her first deer. And I was trying to imagine exactly how that would feel. Yeah. And I could have been wrong. I could have been just, just pleased as punch. <laughs> well, uh, probably the, the reactions differ. <laughs> Some would be yeah. more delighted than others, I, I suppose, or, or more thoughtful. Okay, and now the timing. And then we just have time for the timing. Yeah. Excellent. The timing. So the perfect leaf one day spread in the sun. I walked three paces, then I turned to pick it up. 
The wind had claimed it away. Love too comes like a leaf, a surprise, or a rose. You cannot say not now. Even a fox would laugh if you tried to schedule its trajectory. All true lovers know this. If necessary, you steal time. Love does not wait. Here is my flame. Accept it while it burns before it fades away like a neglected muse. There are other worthwhile things, of course, friendship, commitment, duty, but my love agile like those and also steadfast like the sun and matchless like a maple leaf. Let us not save each other for special occasions. I've complimented those last lines before. I love that. Let's not save each other for special occasions. That's really nice. Well, I'm Charlie Rossiter, and you're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature poet, Beate Sigurdotter, reading from her new book, Xantope and Her Friends. You're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter. We've been visiting with Beate Sigurdotter from down in New Mexico. I want to just tell you a little bit about the program for a fabulous poetry festival centered on poems of provocation and witness. Yes, it's Split This Rock, a festival that happens every other year, and this year it is happening. Always it happens in Washington, D.C. I'll just tell you a little bit about the program. You know, if you ever want to go to Washington, you maybe go to the Smithsonian, check out all the fantastic things that are there, completely free, you know. Uh, you just might want to work in uh, going in April this year or maybe 2020, the next festival, so you can catch the festival because it's pretty fabulous. Here's what they say about 2018. In selecting sessions for the festival, we were particularly interested in sessions designed to help us combat despair or ride through it, learn from one another across generations, celebrate cultures targeted by hate, figure out what it means to live in this time, and equip us all as creative and effective citizens and activists. The thing that's so interesting about the festival is not only is it high-quality poetry, but is poetry with a serious message. Among the many featured poets this time around will be uh, Sonia Sanchez, Ellen Bass, Kwame Dawes, Sharon Olds, and many more. The website is splitthisrock.org. If you want more detail, whether you're going or not, just go to splitthisrock.org and get a flavor of what it's all about. They go on to say, It was our desire to offer a schedule that included opportunities to learn ways that poetry is being engaged in resistant efforts against oppressive measures by political leaders that put our civil rights, health, education system, environment, and lives at risk. And as always, they were always on the lookout for sessions that reflect diversity, creative ways of interacting, intergenerational conversations, and ideas new to us. So when this conference, this festival happens, it will bring together over 700 poets, activists, and dreamers for workshops, readings, panel discussions, youth programming, open mics, and activism, plus a book fair and a party. I hope you understand why I'm so big on promoting this and making sure that people know about it 
who might want to attend. And another source to learn a little more about this is if you go to Poetry Spoken Here, episode 19. That's a short feature with Sarah Browning, who was then the director of Split This Rock, and she talks about uh, the festival a bit and other activities that uh, the organization Split This Rock is involved with. So I do hope uh, I've interested you in this wonderful organization. And I'm Charlie Rossiter. This is Poetry Spoken Here. Be with us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Mundley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.